Why is being a teenager so daggone hard? Man, for generations, the moment we get acne and start, you know, figuring out there's a another gender or getting curious about our sexuality, man, things get weird. And you know what? I don't know if it's weirder in Montana, but here's a staggering statistic for you folks. According to the Department of Public Health and Human Services, kids in Montana between the age of 11 and 17 are twice as likely to commit suicide than the national average. Ouch. That's something we're going to discuss today, folks. But you know what? This isn't going to be a sad topic because we've got a solution to bring forward that um, that every parent, every school board member, every teacher in the community is, want and is going to want to know about. Stay tuned. That's all today on Voices of Montana. It's time for the fastest hour in radio from Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana with Courtney Kibblewhite. Call in today at 866 866- 627-5483 or text to comment or question to 781-627-5483. Now here's your host, Courtney Kibblewhite. Got to make sure to say guest host, Cody. Oh, I, I feel like okay. you got to have, I'm, I'm no Tom Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> no Tom's representing us in a, in a national news convention in Chicago. So I'll be filling him in for him today. And tomorrow you'll get to hear from Bill Witsit. So, so we're holding down the fort and Gosh, I don't know about you, but it seems like everyone in our office, everyone I'm talking to has some version of a little bit of a cold. We're fighting the the winter weather and what that means in our in our schools. I've got I've got little kids that are always bringing home something and that's just that's just standard for little ones. But today we're going to talk about teenagers, which is gosh, this is a is a topic that's so near and dear to my heart and and folks that uh, that listen to the radio and if anyone really who's familiar with Northern Ag Network and Northern News Network knows that our our company has decided to take take really seriously this concept of of normalizing mental health. And and talking about mental health and I'll tell you what gets me excited about our topic today is that what is what is predictable is preventable and when we are able to identify students that are having troubles we are able to prevent things like suicide. Suicide is not a foregone conclusion. It's one one choice, one moment in somebody's life. And, and this organization that we're going to talk to you about today, the Rural Behavior Health Institute, is bringing forth solutions to lower that statistic. We've got a lot of things to be proud of in Montana, but uh, but a high suicide rate sure as heck isn't one of them. So um, so let's let's kick it off. I want to introduce you to two really incredible women, uh, Dr. Janet Lindau, who's a, who's a PhD and is the executive director of the Rural Behavioral Health Institute. She helped to to found this organization along with Julie Anderson, and they are implementing evidence-based digital interventions to reduce youth suicide in Montana and similar rural regions. So Dr. Janet Lindau is on the phone with us today, and then I've also got on the Rural Behavioral Health Institute team Dr. Heather Zalewski. Heather's a psychiatrist, and she graduated from Michigan State University College of Medicine and has practiced uh, since 2007. She moved to Montana, and you may recognize her husband, Dr. Marty Zalewski. Um, and uh, so Dr. Heather Zalewski has worked in a variety of roles at, at Shodare, including the medical director at Shodare's Children's Hospital. And and since uh, really this year, she joined the Rural Behavioral Health Institute. So so Dr. Zalewski has been working with, um, with kids who are facing all of the things that our teenagers are facing this year. And, and she's had a front hand hand seat to that. So Dr. Zalewski, you've, you've uh, visited with students 
throughout the pandemic, before the pandemic. What what are your reflections on teenage mental health today? Yeah, good morning, and thank you for having me on the show, Courtney. I really appreciate it. Um, what I would say is that children were already and teenagers were already facing a lot of pressure and a lot of struggles even before the pandemic. Um, we were already seeing a pretty dramatic increase in emergency room visits for anxiety, self-harm, suicidality um, pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic has certainly not helped with anything related to uh, youth mental health. So things are really, um, unfortunately, um, even more dramatically uh, challenging for kids now than I feel like they have been in, in at least recent history. Yeah, you know, I was thinking I was a I was a teenager in the let's see, in the late 90s. Let me do the math. And, you know, that was before I remember, in fact, my um, my universities was one of the first to have Facebook. And so I was in college by the time Facebook came around. But gosh, kids now are even accessing social media at a young age. Is that something that you think plays into the mental health uh, crisis? I do. I mean, like, for example, um, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, um, you know, has released data that say for, you know, people's ages 10 to 24, right, so teenagers and young adults, suicide rates were stable from 2000 until 2007, but by 2018, they had leaked nearly 60%, and that was pre-pandemic. And then since then, um, emergency room visits for adolescent girls in early 2021 were um, 51% higher than they were for 2019. So I think, you know, obviously we can't just blame the pandemic. The pandemic didn't help, but there are other societal forces at play. And I do think that social media is one of them. So you mentioned that 51% of girls is that, do you see a a gendered response to to mental health challenges for teenagers? Yeah. Interestingly, um, girls do have um, suicide attempts at a higher rate than boys. However, um, there are more fatalities um, among young men, and a lot of that is due to um, the means. Um, So boys are more likely to use firearms, um, and girls are more likely to use uh, less lethal methods, such as overdosing. And how do you... I know that you're you're a parent of a of a teenage yeah. student as well, but maybe just yeah. talk generally, or I mean, or using your personal experience, what do mm-hmm. what do parents observe when? I mean, I know <laughs> from from what I can tell, I haven't had a teenager yet, but it, it sounds like a, a lot of it can just be cold and and a non response from a teenager. But but how mm-hmm. do parents experience this this teenage um, mental challenges? What what do you see there? Yeah, I would say, you know, for for parents and um, for teachers as well, you know, really what you're looking for is a change from the student's baseline or the child's baseline, right? So if you have a kid who typically, you know, is really like up on their, you know, fashion and, you know, showing up wearing, you know, nice clothes all the time, and then that starts to drift, right? And they're like looking like they haven't showered lately, you know, I mean, any, any sort of change like that, same you know, if you have a student who's really good, uh, really into athletics, and then all of a sudden they start missing practice or, you know, they just don't seem on their game, so to speak. I mean, I think those are all warning signs that that kid may be struggling with a mental health issue. And really the best thing to do is just sit down and talk to them, you know, and ask them, non, you know, 
in a, in a private, right? Don't call them out in front of their peers, mm-hmm. but in a private, you know, just non-judgmental, open way, just ask them how they're doing. Ask them if they're having any suicidal thoughts. Definitely asking people if they're feeling suicidal does not make them suicidal. That's a, a myth that hopefully we have dispelled. Um, but I think, you know, bears repeating. So, um, you know, just have an open conversation. And if they are struggling, then, you know, help them to, to reach out and get connected with, with help because there is help out there. So you, you mentioned that that comment and I, about you know, mentioning suicidality doesn't necessarily create it. I, I, right. I have to wonder, is that, is that the same for children or teenagers? And I, I don't, I can't remember the first time that concept was introduced, you know, whether you hear a story or um, maybe you see it on TV or something, but it, how do you talk to uh, your kid about somebody taking their own life? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously very young children are, you know, they don't really have a very solid concept of death yet, so that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> but by the time they're in middle school, believe me, kids are talking about it. And one thing I will say that, that gives me a lot of hope, actually, is that young people these days are much more open about talking about mental health. They don't really seem to have as much um, of a stigma about discussing their mental health issues, whether they're in therapy you know, that sort of thing as adults do. So I think if you think your teenager isn't talking about mental health issues, um, you're, you're probably pretty naive. That's a great point. So it's, it's, um, and, and I, I agree with you. That has to be a positive. I don't think, I, mm-hmm. I honestly, I don't know if that was a, a conversation that would have ever come up in our, in our household growing up of, well, how's your mind doing? What kind of thoughts are going on? Um, but mm-hmm. even the fact that, I mean, a, a student may be just dying for you to ask that question or what, what what's going on in your mind, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can give a personal story. Um, this is several years ago. My, my 21-year-old son was still in high school and he had a few friends over for dinner and um, they, you know, they knew that I worked at Shodair and um, at the at the psychiatric hospital. And one of them just out of the blue, I had no idea that this um, individual had been at Shodair, but just like, do they still serve those sun butter sandwiches? Because let me tell you, those things are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we're talking about this now. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I do think young people are a lot more open than, you know, when I grew up. Um, I, I grew up in the Midwest in the 80s and definitely you didn't talk about this stuff then. Well, and I, I think, or I, I guess I wonder, you know, not every child is necessarily struggling, but every child is thinking right. through what's my identity and, and what do I do mm-hmm. with that information? What does this mean yeah. for students? You know, they've got a very developing brain at that age for, you mm-hmm. know, in their, retaining that information in schools, working with teachers and counselors. What does it mean for just that educational environment? Well, I think so, you know, that's a really great point that, um, Depression and anxiety, um, you know, really have kind of a disproportional impact on young people because if you think about it, you know, a year in the life of a 12-year-old, you know, is so much more impactful than by the time you're, you know, in your 30s, right? Like just in terms of the amount of growing and developing and learning that you're doing at that age. And so then if you take that and, you know, you have a depressive episode during that time, which is really going to impact your ability to grow and learn. Um, you know, it's it's really 
it's really devastating um, in a way that not to minimize adult mental health issues, but um, you know, it, it's just disproportionately more impactful and therefore much more um, important to recognize and treat, I feel like. And that's why I work with kids. Yeah, I, I love that because you really do have the opportunity to change the trajectory of, of someone's life. So I, yeah. I want to jump into, I guess, maybe just quickly my personal story, just in case it, yeah. it helps um, it helps jog some some thoughts for other people, because I was one of those kids that was a straight A student, was popular, mm-hmm. was all of the mm-hmm. things that you look at and you say, we don't have to worry about that kid. You know, they're from a good family. They go to church mm-hmm. that you don't have to worry about that kid. And then, gosh, it, it wasn't until I was probably struggling with thoughts of, you know, should I... I'm, I'm worthless. I shouldn't be here. There's something wrong with mm-hmm. me that if, if I don't get straight A's, then who, who am I? I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. unlovable, those, those sorts of things. And, and that was yeah. probably going on since I was 11, 10 or 11 years old. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I was 15 when some, um, some other students called my mom about some self-harm behaviors that, mm-hmm. that anything was addressed. And I think, yeah. gosh, it's what, so I guess what gets me excited about the Rural Behavioral Health Institute that, that we're going to jump in and, and learn more from, mm-hmm. from, um, Janet Lindau and, and finding the, founding this organization is we can recognize all kids with this yes. tool without, you know, without them presenting something that, um, looks obviously traumatic or, um, indic- external indicators. Yes, absolutely. And that is the, the, beauty of universal screening and um, to your point, Courtney, um, every time that we've done a screening, we have found um, at least one kid exactly like that, a kid who wasn't on anybody's radar, nobody had any idea that they were struggling, and they were, you know, having some very serious suicidal thoughts. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, folks, stay tuned because we're going to offer a solution that if it's not happening already in your community, you need to contact your school board. So uh, coming right up on Voices of Montana, we'll jump in more on the Rural Behavioral Health Institute. General season is here, and in 2022, Montana FWP is continuing CWD, chronic wasting disease, surveillance across Montana. If you harvest a deer, elk, or moose in these surveillance areas, please stop at a CWD sampling station. And to find a sampling station, please visit the FWP website. For information about getting your animal tested for free by FWP, proper carcass disposal, and assistance with sampling your animal, visit fwp.mt.gov CWD. Welcome back to Voices of Montana. This is your guest host, Courtney Kibble-White. I've been intentionally vague about what exactly is the Rural Behavior Health Institute, but um, now I'd like to bring on the founder, Janet Lindau, or, or a co-founder, should I say. Janet founded it along with Julie Anderson. And, and as we were talking to Dr. Zalewski earlier, there's quite a mental health epidemic in um well, probably in the world surrounding uh, surrounding uh, teenagers, but certainly here in Montana, and we're focusing on what what we can do here in the state. So, so Janet, how did the Rural Behavioral Health Institute come about? Tell us uh, tell us the origin story. Oh, sure. Um, and first, I'm really delighted to be on with you, Courtney. This is just such a great opportunity to spread some helpful information uh, for people. So. Uh, I came to Montana specifically to work on suicide prevention. Uh, there was a new center for mental health uh, at Montana State University in Bozeman. And uh, 
I did a bunch of research for a number of years there looking for new solutions for suicide prevention. But what became really clear while I was doing that research, and I've been a researcher my whole life, um, but we were working with a lot of communities and we worked with a number of school districts. And the thing that we heard over and over again from community members was they need help right now. They don't have time to wait for all of the research, which we do need to do, but they need solutions. And the good news is there are a lot of evidence-based solutions that are available. The, the trick is really getting them implemented in a way that is um, acceptable to communities and schools. Um, and also sustainable. So those were kind of the two big challenges. And I would say that for most of the research world, like we're really good at developing stuff, but we're not as good at getting it into communities in sustainable ways. And so uh, Julie Anderson and I came together um, and she had worked in mental health and she was a school teacher and she was in school to, to get her social workers uh, licensure. Uh, when we came together. And so she came from a really different view, but both of us realized that we had the opportunity to take an evidence-based program and figure out how to get it implemented into schools. And we, we want to focus on kids because as you and, uh, and Dr. Zaluski were talking about earlier, we have a really good chance of making a large impact by working with kids when they are first developing mental health issues. Because if you, you can imagine if you help treat a kid when they're 14 for depression or anxiety, you can change whether that kid is able to do well in school, whether they graduate from high school, whether they go to college and the kinds of jobs they can get. So the impact is huge. And so that's, that's kind of how RBHI came about. And we've only been here about a little over two years. Um, but things have been going just amazingly well, and that's largely due to our wonderful school and community partners. And Jenna, just to be clear, did it come about during the pandemic or after? What was the, it sounds like a coincidental <laughs> timeline, but curious there. It, yes. So it actually, uh, I was told uh, that I was a little, uh, I think the word was nuts, which we try not to use <laughs> at Rural Behavioral Health. <laughs> right. But it was right smack after the pandemic started. So we were founded in June of 2020 and, and then really launched. Julie and I started full-time in uh, October of 2020. So right in the middle of the pandemic. And so I'm with you. I've, I was a researcher early on in my training and I love the data. And, but what I also find now being in, in marketing is, man, those of us who are not can really cloud over when you talk about what is this collecting data and what does this mean? Oh, yeah, so, I get that <laughs> so maybe could you uh, break it down to a concrete example of what have you done? You go into a school. And, and I know that there may be some conf confidentiality reasons why you may or may not be able to mention specific schools you've been in. But 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 what is what does it look like um, from beginning to um, you talked about getting getting to people right away? So what what does that look like? Paint the picture for us. Sure. Um, and I just want to mention that uh, Kaylee Brown, who's our implementation director, and we have uh, now two implementation specialists. Um, Sam Pierce and Bella Nyman, uh, they are the team that work with the schools. And so what they do, so we, um, Kaylee recruits schools and just gives them information about what we offer and see if, you know, we figure out if there's common interest. And if there is, then we work with schools to figure out how they can implement the, the, um, the 
intervention, which is called Screening Linked to Care or SLTC. And sorry for all the acronyms. That is a leftover for me being <laughs> an academic. Um, but so once the school decides they want to screen, some schools require school board approval. Um, they get community input. Schools have to make a lot of decisions like what grade do they want to screen? Do they want to screen all the kids at one time? Do they want to spread it out? Who wants to be what's called the school champion, which is really the, the point person at the school who we work with to figure out how we're going to implement this into a school. But we have this pretty um, manualized, I would say, at this point. And, you know, every school is unique, but there are very concrete steps that we do everywhere. So we work with schools to figure out when do they want to do it, which, school, which kids do they want to screen, how are we going to inform parents, and then who, which therapists are going to be there on screening days to make sure that we have support for kids that uh, self-report that they have suicidality. So one of the key things to our program is uh, our, our screening system is digital, so kids complete it on smartphones or school tablets or computers. So we are hearing from what's called the content experts, which are the kids. They know how they're feeling better than anybody else. So we ask them directly how they're doing. And then for those that identify with having you know, severe suicidal thoughts with the intention to die and or suicidal behaviors, we have a therapist who meets with those kids on the same day that they have said that they have um, suicidality. Um, and so, so that child, once they've said, I need some help, we have help right there. And then this year, because we, so one of the things we do is we gather information from schools. We're asking, like, how did this work for you? What pieces are really good? What pieces do we need to work on? And then we, for the pieces we need to work on, we try to really build in solutions that work well for, for schools. And some things are universal and some things are specific to school districts. But one of the things we heard consistently, and we get this question all the time, is what do you, you know, like, you're going to identify all these kids and what are we going to do with them? So we want to make sure that those kids are getting to care when they're referred out to care, which is one of the things that Janet, happens. that was one of the questions business. I wanted yes. to ask you a bit more about. We're going to take a quick news break, but I want to hear, okay. you know, I think about the um, the rural, rural places where there are not therapists there. So what do what? you do? So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Voices of Montana. With Montana News Headlines, I'm Madonna Elliott. More public access along the Lower Riverstone River could generate an additional $5.3 million in local spending and also could bring in 50 new jobs to the region. These figures are from an economic analysis with a price tag of $12,500. The Montana City Volunteer Fire Department was called to a structure fryer Friday night in the South Hills area. All residents were evacuated by the time firefighters arrived. The estimated damage to the home, $300,000. Convicted child killer Robert Hornback was denied parole and his freedom. The 58-year-old Hornback appeared for his first parole hearing Wednesday before the Montana State Prison in Deer Lodge. And the Black Hill Mountain Ski Area will be opening Saturday, marking the earliest opening in a decade for the ski slopes above Lakeside. Lifts will begin spinning at 9 a.m. and close 4 p.m. daily. No matter the setting, no matter the holiday, beef is always there to elevate the time you share with others. Every now and then, that means calling a game-changing audible, like savoring a beef tenderloin roast on Thanksgiving. Sometimes, it means sticking to a well-known crowd pleaser, like a delicious holiday smoked prime rib. 
And when you need to get creative with it to ring in the new year, well, you've got a lot to work with. No matter how you're spending time with those you love, enjoy it with beef. Beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by beef farmers and ranchers. And we're back on Voices of Montana. I'm your guest host, Courtney Kibblewhite. We'll jump right back into the conversation with Janet Lindau, one of the founders of the Rural Behavior Health Institute. Janet, you were just describing a screening pro your screening program that um, once invited into schools, you have a digital solution for students to be able to report back on whether or not they're experiencing depression, anxiety, or suicidality. And and if I heard you correctly, it sounds like you're able to then treat a student who reports being suicidal right away. And my question before the break was, how do you do that in communities where there may not be a therapist for miles? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Courtney. And that's one of the the ways that I think this program has been successful is because we have one possible solution for that. So thanks to the pandemic, we now have pretty broadly used um, telecare. And so we have uh, built a network of therapists across the state who treat adolescents. um, And we work with them to make sure that we can get kids who need mental health support to the care they need. Um, and they can do that using telecare. So that's really how we're doing that. We have a number of contracted therapists that we work with who are specialists in working with kids who are potentially in crisis. So we use those therapists on screening days to make sure the child is safe, um, that they know what the next step is for them to get help. Um, and then we refer uh, kids out to our many, many uh, healthcare partners. Um, and those kids can be treated no matter where they live. And that's really important because that equalizes uh, care across our state. Now, where does the parent's role come in here? It, are, are you going to tell me if my kid, first of all, do I know that the, um, <laughs> you know, that this test was administered? And then am I going to get feedback that my kid is one of the high risk individuals before they meet with someone? Or what's that process? Yes. So a really good question. Um, so what we do before we ever screen a child in a, in a school district is we get parental consent and schools decide if that's going to be an opt-in, which is a parent has to write in that they are giving their, their permission, or some school districts use opt-out. So they send all the information home, and if you don't want your child to participate in our intervention, then um, you can write in and say, you know, just say, my child's out. Um, So that's the first step. When a child's been identified with recent suicidality, um, which are the kids that we see the same day because they're at the greatest risk of dying in the future. Janet, the music's rolling. We're going to let you continue with this. And we're also going to answer a few questions from the audience right after this on Voices of Montana. Voices of Montana continues right after this. AARP Montana brings the voice of the consumer to the capital in Helena as one of Montana's largest nonprofits. We work to protect Montanans from fraud, support family caregivers, lower prescription drug prices, and protect Social Security and Medicare. We fight for all Montanans, helping people choose how they live and how they age. Stay up to date on how we're fighting for you. Sign up to receive legislative alerts at aarp.org slash get involved. Welcome back to Voices of Montana. This is your guest host for the day, Courtney Kibblewhite. And today we are examining a topic that affects our future people. This is, um, we're talking about teenage mental health and how we can catch students that may be experiencing 
detrimental thoughts that could lead to suicide. They may be experiencing depression and anxiety. And gosh, if we could identify those individuals when they're young and and um, administer some some therapy and different interventions, what what would our state look like? So I don't know. I this uh, can seem a little dark, but I think it's exciting because really we're we're working on changing the next generation, and and the Rural Behavioral Health Institute is at the forefront of that, um, bringing back Dr. Janet Lindau, who's one of the founders of the Rural Behavioral Health Institute. Uh, Janet, you were talking about how when a school uh, decides to have Rural Behavioral Health Institute come in and start screening children, what that process looks like as far as interacting with a parent, how, how the parent gets notified and what, um, what happens if a student is potentially identified as at high risk for suicide. Yes. So we mentioned that we get parental consent, just like you would have for any other kind of dental or medical screening at schools. And then uh, if a student's been identified with suicide and is going to see a therapist the same day, the parents are notified by that school champion I mentioned earlier um, and, you know, are kept in the loop with the whole process. So, you know, parental involvement, student involvement, those are things we really emphasize. And then if the parents um, and family and student need extra care, we have a case manager who is Heather Winley, um, and she, uh, we get permission to contact the parents that way as well, and she can help parents figure out what kinds, uh, what their needs are. If they're having trouble getting uh, a therapist, she can help with that. She can also connect uh, a, a family to our psychiatrist, who's Dr. Zuluski, who we've been talking with earlier today. So that's how we involve parents. Now, I had a question that came in over our text, and and folks are free to text in to 781-627-5483 or call in. Um, And the question is is regarding uh, students who may have be feeling unsure whether or not they are a boy or a girl. So that gender question, what if, and the person just asks, uh, what do you think about trans operations? What if a person thinks he's a girl and vice versa? Could you, could you talk about if that is something that is, is going on for a specific student? And I'm not sure if Dr. Zalewski may want to address this uh, directly, but, but um, what, what are your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, so we know that adolescence, as you kind of already alluded to, Courtney, you know, is a time of identity formation. And, you know, some students will, you know, question their gender identity. Um, And what we also know is that those students are at very high risk of suicide. Um, I'm looking at an article right now from um, the National Institute of Health that say that it says that data indicate that 82% of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves and 40% have attempted suicide, with suicidality highest amongst transgender youth. And the other thing that we know is that kids whose parents are not supportive of their gender identity journey are at the highest risk. That is um, a risk factor that increases their risk of suicide um, dramatically. So I would just say, you know, if you're a parent with a child who is questioning their gender identity, it's very important to, you know, be supportive and non-judgmental and um, support them through that journey. Is that is that a sign, perhaps, that a student needs to? Would you say that every student who may be experiencing gender identity questions needs help? And, and, and not because no, there's something wrong with them, but do they need? No, I wouldn't pathologize it that way. I would okay. just say, you know, just like, you know, you've, you're, you know, you're helping your child through adolescence, which, you know, I'm 
I have a teenager at home and it's my third. So I, I have lived experience with helping, um, you know, raise teenagers and helping them in their journey. And, you know, gender identity is just one aspect of it, right? You know, mm-hmm. they need to decide if they're going to college, what they're going to major in, you know. Um, there's so many decisions and so much formation that happens um, during those teenage and early adult years. And really, you know, our, our role as parents is to, you know, be there for our kids and support them and, and help them make healthy choices. And obviously, suicide is not a healthy choice. So we need to be very attuned to um, any signs that our child might be struggling with that. And if they're struggling with suicidality, then they mm-hmm. definitely need help. But just, um, you know, the fact that they're questioning their gender, you know, a lot of kids do that and have very um, stable mental health. So that alone, I would not say is uh, an indication that kid needs professional intervention. That's that's great information, because I think as a as a parent, we're certainly looking for any and all signs um, and they may not be they may not be very obvious. You talked about a little bit about a parent being able to you know, recognize when there's a change from baseline. What are other things that students might say or or bring up to a parent that in which a parent should respond with perhaps we need to talk to somebody outside of the family? Sure. I think, you know, something that's very um, basic to human nature is connection. And so if your child is expressing loneliness or hopelessness, those are very concerning um, signs and signs that they, they might need to talk to somebody because we know that those are predictors actually of later suicide. And I think that is one reason why um, people in rural communities do struggle with suicide more is just, you know, we don't always have that connection um, and that feeling of belongingness. And, and that's very critical to just, you know, human um, well-being. Mm-hmm. The other, I guess, element I think about is and again, being from a rural and, and small community, once somebody you know gets identified that they need to be on this on this path, and maybe not necessarily an urgent case, but um, but but the kids who certainly need to need to have some some further intervention. How do you make sure? I, I mean, I know you're collecting a lot of data, so how mm-hmm. do you make sure to to maintain their their uh, confidentiality and and not um, you know not not make them ostracized for for being different in in that way of needing help. Right. And so we, you know, we follow all the the laws for with school-based stuff is FERPA and the um, medical um, HIPAA laws. And so that's why we get parental consent. That's why this this school champion is actually the only one that's able to link the the results from the serv- from the screenings to an individual student. So we don't have any of that information. And the only way that we can reach out to a student or a family is if that school champion then talks to the parent and gets permission for us to reach out to them. So it's not like so, every teacher in the school knows that my kid is having this issue. Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely okay. not. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great point, Courtney. Right. Well, and, you know, it just it just is. And and I hope that um, even just having this discussion right now, we're normalizing the fact that <laughs> there's a there's a lot that goes on uh, beneath the surface. You know, I'll mm-hmm. share. I mentioned a bit of my personal story either, but I remember vividly and I think I was because how do you tell the person that gave you life that you don't want to be alive anymore? That mm-hmm. that's it's really hard to say that to your parent and. Even when you know that you don't actually want to be dead, but there's something inside of you that's saying something awful like that. I And I'm from a Christian family, and I told my mom, 
mom, I just think it would be easier to be with the angels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember her just being like, oh, you know, that's a nice thought. And yes, heaven is wonderful. (laughs) And, and I was trying to say, you know, what, what's going Mm -hmm. in my head, but I couldn't say, I feel like I need to be dead or, you know, that. So it's, it's just, um, I just, I'm, I'm excited about this. I can, I guess you can tell from a a, a personal standpoint. Right. Because like you would have been identified at least three years earlier. Right. right, Struggling with mental health issues. And we do. And again, not to get all weird and data on you, but like we know from research that actually students are and patients are more likely to report accurately how they're feeling to a computer screen than they are to somebody like me, which is kind of a blow to my ego, but I'll take it. (laughs) Um, So kids are more likely, patients are more likely to accurately disclose this sort of sensitive information when they're doing it on a computer than they are when they're talking to um, like a doctor. Mm -hmm. So so we feel very strongly that this, you know, self-report system is the way to go and that that's the way that we're going to catch kids like you and catch them early and get them help mm-hmm. so that they can thrive. Now, we're about to uh, take a break here in uh, in just one minute. But before we head to break, Heather, I, I just wanted to ask you to, to tell us a little bit about what this means for schools. Is Does this mean that mm-hmm. there's going to be schools are going to need to provide therapists in the future, that they're going to need to have an enhanced curriculum for mental health? What does Rural Behavioral Health Institute, what, is, what does that mean for um, for what we're doing to address mental health in schools? Yeah. So, I mean, really that is up to the school. I mean, we, we provide therapists and case manager to offer support to students that are identified in screenings. Um, so the schools don't have to do any of that because we know that schools are very busy and um, that, you know, they're really kind of stretched as it is. So we don't want to add anything to their plate. We just want to identify the students that are already having these issues. Just asking them about the issues doesn't create them Mm -hmm. and then get those kids to care. So screening link to care. If the school decides that, you know, oh, now we know that, you know, we have all these kids that are struggling with anxiety. Um, You know, we want to enhance our health curriculum to talk about coping skills or talk about or or incorporate mindfulness or something like that. That's great. They're they're we would love that, but there's no obligation for the school to do that. They can really take that data and, and use it however they see fit. And just for the audience as well, I don't know the, that we have mentioned this, but this all happens at zero cost to the student yes. in the school. Is that correct? Yes, this is a free program. Wow. Well, we'll come, we will come back from this break and, um, and we'll let you know what you can do in your community if you'd like to see rural behavioral health operate there. With Voices of Montana, I'm Courtney Kibblewhite. Your Montana electric cooperatives have some tips for hunters. Those round ceramic devices on power poles are not good to eat and not legal game. So please don't shoot them. Also, doves and grouse are both legal birds that perch on power lines, but it's illegal to shoot them there. Drop a hot wire and you could be a cooked goose. Hunt, have fun, but above all, be safe. A message from your Montana Electric Cooperatives. They do more than just keep the lights on for you. 
And we're back with Voices of Montana. This is your guest host, Courtney Kibblewhite, wrapping up a, a segment today on teenage mental health, where we have introduced a solution uh, called Rural Behavioral Health Institute that's active in schools right now, screening students and helping to prevent youth suicide. It's it's pretty cool anytime you can say your goal is to uh, totally eliminate something like this. And, and as we were talking before the break, um, it's cost-free to schools. So... Janet, can you share a little bit more about the model? Where does your funding come from? Sure. So one of the um, really big funders we have is the state of Montana. So that is being paid for by uh, all the taxpayers in Montana. So thank you, taxpayers. Um, The Office of uh, Suicide Prevention is where that money is coming from. Um, We also have grants from quite a few uh, different foundations and then individual donors. So all of these things are allowing us to um, provide the entire program, including, um, you know, the case management work for free. Wow, which that's a game changer, and especially in in rural communities like where I'm from, where we we don't necessarily have um, a therapist in town, and you know, to not put it on the school, but be able to bring something to that community, that's absolutely incredible. So, if I'm a, a parent or a school board member and uh, rural behavioral health is not currently present in my community. Janet, what what do folks need to do? How do how, who do you get connected? What needs to happen? So all they need to do is contact us, and the person they really want to talk to because she knows everything inside and out is Kaylee Brown, um, and I can give you her uh, email is kbrown at rbhi dot org. You can visit our website to find us. Um, you can call us um, uh, any way you can think of to get a hold of us. Um, I, I don't know how, if we can get other information out, but we're happy to talk to you. Um, our website is www.rbhi.org. Fantastic. And um, I guess what else What else should folks know in the state? We're, you're being heard from <laughs> all the way from uh, Libby to Plentywood. Um, what else do people need to, to know about either Rural Behavioral Health Institute or, um, or teenage mental health? So I would just say that, um, you know, no school is too big and no school is too small. So we have school partners that are, you know, everything from large districts down to very, you know, frontier communities. So... Um, please don't feel like, oh, you know, uh, Rural Behavioral Health Institute doesn't want to work with us because they only work, you know, in either small towns or they only work in the big districts. Like we we really want to reach every student in Montana. So don't hesitate. Thank you, Janet. What are your closing thoughts here? Uh, so the only thing I want to mention is if uh, just like Heather was saying, we, we want to service as many kids in the state as possible. We do that through fundraising and through grants. Any kind of contribution to RBHI um, is appreciated. It takes about $5 to screen one kid for a year. Um, and you can donate on our website. And then do you come um, so back, Janet? You, do, do you come back to rescreen a kid? We do. So most school districts are planning on screening twice a year. And we do that because we want to make, we want to check in with school, uh, kids routinely so we can catch the kids that aren't improving or getting worse. And you need to, to in order to do that, you need to screen them uh, kind of regularly, just like you do for eye exams and hearing, because things can change so rapidly when you're a teenager. Wow. Well, thank you so much for Janet Lindau and Dr. Zalewski for joining us. That's the Rural Behavioral Health Institute, rbhi.org. Go there to learn more. Have a great day, Montana.
You've been listening to Voices of Montana. Comments and opinions heard are those of the host or callers and not necessarily those of this station, sponsors, or Northern News Network. Join us Monday through Friday at 9.06 for Voices of Montana.